Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, host for the show. And today's guest is Ben Freakley. He's the CEO of Ready, Set, Resilience. Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself and what, what this means, CEO of Ready, Set, Resilient. Thanks for having me, Tim. Um, ben Frankly, I've been I'm really on a mission to help performers, um, particularly coaches, athletes, executives, uh, live the most resilient version of themselves. Thus the name Ready, Set, Resilient. Um, I was playing around with this idea when I was a college coach myself and starting my journey in sport and performance psychology at Georgia Southern University, go Eagles. <clears throat> and um, it was during that that time that I just, that name really stuck with me. Um, ready is indicative of all pre-performance routines. Everything that we need to do as a coach, as an athlete, as a leader, to really uh, take on the day or, or the moment that is in front of us. Set is short for mindset. You know, how can we develop um, a mindset that is that is present and very goal and values oriented? Um, and, and also that uh, different mindsets for different moments, i.e. after performance, how can we shift quickly to a reflective mindset? You know, thinking about like what what worked well, what didn't, you know, all, all kind of elements of um, best practices and reflection and then. Resilient can can really be the byproduct of, of these things. Mm -hmm. You know, the more time we spend focusing on preparation and elite routines and the more time we think about, you know, what do I want my mindset worldview schema to be, uh, the more likely I am to shrink that response time down between uh, failure and being back to uh, in the moment, ready to get on with it, action oriented, uh, et cetera. Um, so that was kind of a side hustle since about 2010. Uh, more recently, I've taken that into a, a full-time uh, company. Uh, I've got a great teammate in Dr. Tyler McDaniel, who was uh, uh, in my master's cohort at uh, Georgia Southern. Then he went on to uh, do his doctoral training at South Carolina. And he and I are really just in the process of working with various uh, businesses, uh, college teams, pro sport teams to do some of the things that I just mentioned right there. So what are the practicalities of what you do? How, how does it work? Do you go in? Do you do workshops? Is it a season long thing? Is it online training? How do you actually work with with teams and individuals? So uh, all the above, um, want, we have a, a client that's in the MLS, uh, Major League Soccer. Um, that that uh, work is probably most uh, robust in terms of uh, actually being in person. I will go uh, in with that team for about a week a month. Some of that, most of that work, Tim, is highly individualized. Like that, that athlete that's, you know, performing a couple times a week in front of, um, as much as 65,000 people uh, mm -hmm. that, that um, you know, has their own performance to worry about, not to mention, um, hey, is this a contract year for me? Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe that athlete is um, transitioning to the United States. So there are some, 
you know, social, cultural factors to consider. So most of my work with this uh, MLS team is highly individualized. Sometimes there will be more some um, team dynamics focus sessions with the whole team. Um, some of my time is spent working with the coaching staff, maybe just um, informally engaging on environmental factors that I see going on uh, in the day-to-day training environment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in uh, halftime talks, in post-time t- or, uh, post-game talks. Um, and then um, on game day, uh, part of my services include uh, uh, what we call a mental activation session. And this is, you know, I- I'm a big fan of the self-determination theory. So autonomy is, you know, something that I think is really important in, in, in the, in our individual journey. So um, all of this stuff is opt in with me. The club will provide these services. um, But I'm very clear that there is no mandate that you have to work with Ben uh, on your mental game. And um, I think that's through some really good lessons that I learned in previous work when I, I worked with the Toronto Blue Jays for five years and like, how do we go about this work as a mental skills coach? Um, so that's a, a couple teams that I work with, Tim. I have season-long contracts with, a 10-month 10, 10 season or all the way through playoffs or a championship. Um, some of the college programs that I work with, um, I may come in for uh, two or three days and do like workshops like you mentioned, um, maybe a mental skills workshop on how to get better at self-regulating your attention and your emotion and teaching some mental skills, helping athletes experience some mental skills like mindfulness, like some breath work, um, taking them through actual goal setting practices and, you know, helping develop maybe a season long plan on how they can check in with things. Um, And then when I'm not doing those in-person things, um, it's typically five or six one-on-one calls from, from my home office here uh, with athletes or other performers uh, just about maybe live coaching, showing up and asking the question, what would you like to focus in on today and seeing where the conversation goes? If you're working with a big team, especially professional teams, a lot of times they will have somebody like a sports psychologist on staff. Is If that's the case, how do you negotiate or work within their, their remit their job description, knowing that there's so much crossover between performance, performance coaching and, and really sports psychology, which is also performance coaching. How do you, how do you navigate that? Well, that is my job with the clubs though. My master's and doctoral work was in sport and performance psychology. So, so you're the guy, they don't have somebody else on staff. Yeah. Uh, uh, with, with those teams, I'm the Got guy it. doing that. Now, where that where that question really really um, fits, maybe more is if things are more of a clinical nature, um, mm-hmm. what does that crossover look like? And mm-hmm. um, you know, thankfully, when I was full time with the Toronto Blue Jays, we had <clears throat> one person fully uh, dedicated to doing the clinical work mm-hmm. um, with these clubs that I'm working with. Uh, part of my job is to um, have relationships with people that, that can do the clinical work and be ready when referrals are needed for, for things that, um, uh, are not 
uh, performance related, more clinical in nature. Um, but if we're not careful, those things can can bleed into one another. So uh, making sure that there is a um, referral system and that um, athletes know what that looks like and knowing that, that that can be part of my role as well in terms of being an advocate and supporting them if they need uh, help beyond what I can provide. Hmm. I'd like to know, we're going to get into the topics of performance, uh, sports performance, but I'd like to know really from a business side, I'm sure there are people out there who are maybe interested in, in following in your footsteps to some extent of developing relationships with teams and, and working with teams in a, in a private practice. We see it more and more. How do you, how do you start that? How do you find clients? Is it word of mouth? Is it through social media marketing? Is it through just contacting coaches? Where do you get your business? Well, you ask yourself that question every day, you know, where, where do you get your business? Um, or, or you ask, am I going to get, am right. I going to any business? And so then you have to, uh, you know, use the skills that you teach to others in terms of being able to self-regulate and right. Hey, you're worried. I mean, it's a pressure job, right? It, Given it, that you work for yourself. And so if you don't do a good job, you don't have clients. So yeah. I can see there's definitely some, some high pressure, some, some stress involved in that. You, you nailed it. And I'd say another one, Tim, as well as for me, there's the, the pressure of who is my client um, by nature. And I think because I spent so long as a college coach before transitioning into doing sports psychology work, um, I'm comfortable reaching out to uh, colleges, teams, uh, sports, um, I'm also mindful of when I've had experiences working with uh, lawyers or military population or business executives, they stress, pressure, performance, mm -hmm. that's ubiquitous. None, mm -hmm. none of us are immune uh, to, you know, some of these internal covert challenges that athletes and coaches experience. So part of part of the the challenge in the job is uh, is you know noticing when I'm trying to be <clears throat> a mile wide and an inch deep, go after this, go after that, versus getting really clear on you know who do I want to serve and who do I want to support and mm -hmm. you know what types of collaborations would be really uh, rewarding on on both ends, partnership and relationship. Most of that right now has me. Um, spending time with sports teams. Um, uh, and I'm asking myself, where else could this make sense? Um, I've, you know, been brought in to do keynotes with, uh, with lawyers. Um, that's, that's a very high stress, high pressure, uh, high demand job. Um, that, that's been something that's, um, uh, worked in the past. And, um, and you nailed it, though. I'm, I would say going after the work is primarily word of mouth right now, um, which always reminds me that any opportunity that I get, it is my job to absolutely go in and over deliver. Hmm. And so am, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about who should I go after and, and where can I find work? 
but also getting tighter on what that process is. So for example, if, if you're um, that gatekeeper or head coach of, of a college team and we want to work together, um, step one for me is a discovery call. I'll get on and say, Tim, tell me about your team. And that usually just that one question will allow us to go. Then we'll start talking about certain players or we'll start talking about recruiting or we'll start talking about a staff. And then from there, I'll I will um, um, design a, a survey that I'll <clears throat> uh, collaborate with the coaching staff on and send that out to all the athletes. And then what I'll do is I'll use information from that survey. You know, I'll ask questions like on a scale of one to 10, how much pressure do you experience as an athlete or uh, more open-ended? What are the most significant challenges you face as a coach or, or as an athlete? So I'll use that information to start to formulate the workshops, the interventions, et cetera. And then I'm using real-time in-house context-specific information when I go in and work with that team. One of my favorite questions to ask teams um, is what do you want other, what do you want your opponents to say it's like to play against you? Mm. And so then that type of open-ended question can help get it well, behaviorally, what are we doing or what could we be doing more of? And then on the back end of um, on the back end, I am uh, I'm following up after all of these sessions. The last part of my process is sending a report out to all the coaches. Hey, here's here's all the data from our surveys. Here's the sessions that we did based on my time with your program. Here are uh, some of my recommendations, you know, as a coaching staff. Of, of things that we could do to, to keep this work going. So I know that was maybe more than you asked in the first place, but no, it's fantastic. The, the more details, the better, to be honest, because if, if somebody is looking to do this, they need to, they need to have an idea of how this process works. The, the interesting thing, and we talked about this on the phone a few weeks ago, the interesting thing with working with groups of people or even individuals is you do this discovery conversation, but a lot of times coaches or, or players will come in and expect you to give them some magic pill that fixes their problems in, in a, in a two hour workshop. And now we're good. Now we know how to goal set, or now we know how to control our breathing, or this is how we use imagery. Yet the reality is that this is a relationship based mm environment where the more we interact with those people, the more we get to know them, the more we're able to help them. How do you, how do you transfer from, Hey, I did a workshop. That was great. Thanks, Ben. Good job. Uh, maybe we'll get you in next year to no, we want you part of this program over the long term. We want you to work with our, our team or our coaches on a monthly basis. How do you, how do you transition from one to the other? Because you've done it. You're working regularly with an MLS team. That shows it can happen. Is it really the recognition of maybe coaches and administration that this is valuable and we need to have, we need to stick with this? You tell me. No, that I love the question. Um, I think that's part of uh, anybody's job doing this work is to, um, do this this needs analysis like you're talking about. I, uh, I I'm I think right now I'm I'm very fortunate, and that I I can be a little bit more selective in 
in who I partner with. Mm-hmm. I am more interested right now in what you just said, Tim, that when I'm uh, doing these discovery calls or, or, or talking uh, with, with these gatekeepers, um, it, I'm trying to understand the needs. And if it's a one and done type thing, I take those on from time to time. I'm a business. I, I have sure. um, uh, a wife and two kids and um, I like, you know, being able to support and provide. Um, but then I think it goes, goes deeper and in really looking exactly what you just said about relationship. And so what's going to happen there? You're probably not. And this is how I approached it with um, this MLS team. When I had my, first interview with them, um, I, I kind of told them, I said, you know, these first couple months and visits, it might not look like I'm doing any work. You know, it's, it's not going to be come to this 20 minute presentation or come to this workshop. The most important thing right now is going to be building trust and, and building rapport. I'm playing the long game here. If we're really looking to support the needs of these athletes. If we're looking that to make this more than a win at all cost environment, then we're going to have to really work hard on making these athletes know, Hey, working with Ben vulnerability is okay. This is a safe place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steven Rolnick, you know, one of the founders of motivational interviewing talks about being this warm fire, you know, where you're approachable and people can come to you. The challenge in doing this work is if you're being brought Well, it looks like we lost Ben for a second. Let's go to our commercial. We'll be back in just a minute. The mission of FSU Coach Uh-oh. is to prepare hey, the, the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes, and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the, the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them and they're taught by coaches for coaches. The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State, but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach. So I thought joining this master's program would help me um, learn different ways to attack my job. If you're interested in going into coaching or joining the FSU Coach program, I would just say, don't even think about it and do it. All right, we're back, everybody. Ben Freakley talking about being a, a performance coach with a variety of individuals and teams. Ben, when when we talk about performance coaching, you talked about the relationships and the long-term commitment. Do you, do you work with coaches? Do you work in the same way as you do with athletes in developing that relationship and extending that that long-term commitment to essentially mentor and advise coaches? Yes. Yes. Um, 
Tim, I don't know if you you're you're probably very familiar with the NCAA uh, well-being study that that just got released. But you know, having been a former college coach, head coach, and assistant coach, you know who who is supporting who's supporting the coaches. Um, and I agree, it's a huge issue and one that really isn't talked about. We see a lot of resources given to athletes, whether it be professional or college, even high school, to some extent, less so, where the athletes are taken care of, the athletes are are provided with a number of staff to support them. But then it comes to the coaches and the assumption sometimes I feel is that coaches have it figured out now. And you and I both know, having coached, having worked with coaches, we don't have it figured out. We need help just as much as they do. You got it. And I think the neat uh, the neat part of this uh, for me, Tim, is when, when you're invited, th- those, maybe this is a little bit different way that I look at it. So I think it may feel more comfortable or natural. You bring in a, a mental performance coach, sports psychology coach like myself, an athlete, you know, might might come to that and say, well, I, I need that resource. I want to improve the mental part of my game. A, a coach, you have, you have got to be invited in to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the phrase, people have to want to be coached. Mm-hmm. And I've been a coach. I know how um, controlling I was of my environment. I know uh, how tough it is to have uh, too many voices in the locker room, so to speak, too many voices surrounding that athlete as a former coach i wanted my messages to be the loudest messages and i I honor that with any environment that i go into i'm very very mindful that i am a guest in their world and uh trust me there there's parts of me you know that when i see things going on i want to maybe jump in there and and um, pass on observations i i think this is a very very slow play to be able to be invited in uh, where that head coach or that assistant coach um, really sees you as somebody that can be a resource for them where they feel comfortable. Yeah. So go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, how do you convince them of that when we live in a world of win now, succeed now, show me a difference right now. And we're hesitant to pay you long-term. Yeah. I don't try and convince them. I I, I believe in um, uh, kind of rolling with resistance, you know, where I would honor that skepticism. I, uh, I wouldn't, I think the harder, if somebody were to push hard on me, I could see myself as a coach come really think of all the reasons that I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, what I've used is there are there are some coaches when they when they reach out to me. So for example, I probably have uh, five uh, Division One head coaches right now that that I coach across across the country. They've all come to me. Those were all either personal relationships or word of mouth. Um, there's no convincing needed. They're they're looking at at themselves. They're looking at their team. They're saying, Ben, I, I'd like some coach development in this. The others in the other environments that I work with, um, those are ones where I'm maybe primarily brought in to serve the athletes. Mm-hmm. But along the way, 
um, am just really mindful of whose environment it is. I'm constantly checking in with with the coach to to get assurances and get permissions, you know, maybe get some feedback of things. And then occasionally I might say, um, would you mind if I passed on some observations? Um, if I feel it's safe to do so, if, if the timing's right, because there are so many competing demands. And Tim, um, that is usually uh, received somewhat uh, open. Um, and then the other thing too, I really think coaches like things that are informal. If it's, if it's too scripted, uh, scripted, if it's too academic, especially if it's too preachy and they're feeling like you don't understand the context, the environment, my demands, I think they're going to wall up. I, I think they're going to create distance. And I, I, I think it can be harder to, to regain that trust. I think it's infrequent. I think it's, um, you know, being able to go along with the, the banter that goes along in, in sporting cultures and environments. And then again, needs supportive. Um, and once you're invited in a couple times, uh, if you can add some value in those moments and, and really see the values proposition for, for what the, pro the problems that they're trying to solve, if they see you as a support of that, I think you're in. Hmm. Hmm. let's switch to a little bit more about what you actually do rather than the business side in relation to, I mean, let's talk about athletes. What, what are some of the things that you see are consistent challenges for athletes that you work with over the course of multiple sports ages? And are there trends where, yeah, athletes in general, they really need support here. Yeah. Um, I think uh, dwelling, dwelling over past performances, um, you know, really, really ruminating on mistakes mm -hmm. that, 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 that may have been costly. That's one. Um, navigating, uh, especially in pro sports, navigating the uh, athlete coach relationship. And I'm saying it in that order because I, I find uh, athletes that, um, hey, really not happy with my status on the team. Uh, ben, do I just um, put my head down, soldier on, be a pro? Can, can I approach my coach? Can, can, I, can I go to my coach and, and, and just be vulnerable, have a conversation on my performance, my development? Um, a third trend for sure is worry about the future, especially mm -hmm. that player who's on a contract year. I love it here. I love Isn't it interesting? Sorry to interrupt you because I don't want to lose my train of thought. Isn't it interesting that the two of the three that you talked about focus on not being in the present? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, focus on the past. Focus on the future. Forget what you're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, you, you could probably lump all, all, of, all of them into that, Tim. And, mm -hmm. and going back to interventions – uh, when I do these mental activation sessions with teams, 90% of that is really focused on landing in the moment. Give yourself permission to be right here. There's only two times in life, right now and too late. Mm -hmm. And all these other things will work themselves out. But for these next 90 minutes or four quarters or one half or nine innings, what would it look like if you brought all of yourself 
to the moment. So yeah, I mean, um, being mindful is certainly top of the of the list. I'm just I'm just taking notes, Ben. That's some some gold right there. Uh, now let, let's talk about coaches because this is obviously you know we focus primarily on coaches. What are you seeing the needs of coaches are in in today's environment? Um, man, I don't know if I can prioritize them, so I'll I'll spit them out. Then maybe we can sure. rank them because I know you're you're so invested in this, which is really what drew me to wanting to collaborate with you in the first place. Um, one is moving from a coach-centered environment to a person-centered environment. I, I, I ask a lot of coaches all the time, um, hey, who grew up being coached by somebody that was really directive, you know, really um, uh, not really interested in maybe taking – uh, on players' perspectives, but this this is it. Autocratic. And autocratic for sure. And so if most of our experiences that were modeled to us were this is the way, and especially if that way got results, um, you, you cannot fault coaches for adopting some of these things. So, you know, let's call that a coach-centered environment, you know, and then, you know, we could unpack later on or maybe another session what it would look like to be in an athlete or person-centered environment. Um, two is, you know, how do you actually live your philosophy if you even have one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't think you can be in your space or my space without knowing all about John Wooden's approach to leading his team and coaching his team and really over communicating, over emphasizing, prepare, 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 do one's best, do one's best, do one's best. And also having this robust list of the core values and principles that are going to get us there in form of, you know, the pyramid of success. <clears throat> I know early on as a coach, I, I, I knew I wanted to win, right? I, I knew that. But my process, my priorities, um, being at the coal face of pressure and performance and right at the center of that ecosystem, I didn't know how to regulate myself. And again, go, but going back to this question, Tim, of who's supporting the coaches, who's right there with them to help them explore what defines you beyond winning? How do you define success? What do you want it to be like to be coached by you? I think all these types of questions around philosophy, around values can help the coach be consistent. Like gripes that I hear from athletes, um, I, I, I'm not clear on what my coach wants. My, my coach, you know, is inconsistent. I've never met a coach that's doing that on purpose. I've never met a coach that's sure. intentionally doing that. You know, I, coaches are people. They also can get out of the present moment. They also can worry about not performing well. They can experience doubt. I, I lived all of those things. So I think it's, helping coaches move from coach centered to maybe athlete centered and person centered. And that's, that's going to be underpinned by new and different ways of, of communicating. You know, I think Steven Rolnick's work on motivational interviewing um, is if I had a redo moment as a coach, that's a well I'd like to dig deep. Um, uh, I think second is again, clear on 
philosophy and, and values and, and how, what would, what would those coaching behaviors look like? Uh, three, it is um, helping coaches understand the differences between ego and mastery environments. Um, I just, you know, the, the more I've learned about these things in my sports psych journey, I'm just thinking, ah, man, mm -hmm. if I had two over moments as, as a college coach, what could I have done for my players? Mm -hmm. and, and just these environmental factors that may have less to do with, with the coach and more to do with the environment that they're looking to set up. Um, those, those are probably uh, They're huge. Three They're big huge. ones. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the, all of them are, are valid and important. The values one for me is, is where we start, right? Where we start. It is. And I, I had a conversation with a coach yesterday on, on this topic of if you create values, if you have a philosophy and you create values and they're not shared with people, we're all wasting our time here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you say is important. If you don't have that up on the wall, if you're not talking about it, if you're not creating environments that highlight the values that you espouse, then they don't, they don't know and they don't care. They hold you accountable as a coach. You can have values for your team that you hold them accountable to, but you can also have values for you that they hold you accountable to. I love that. So this is a relationship of, hey, coach, you said you'd be organized. Look, it's on the wall. You, you don't even have the equipment out. Yeah, you got me. You're right. That's that's my bad. I'm going to work on that to fix that. Because, yeah. again, we, we're showing vulnerability, right? We're showing that as coaches, we err but we're also trying to hold ourselves to a higher standard. But if we just hide it, then we can do whatever we want. And I'm coach. How dare you? Right. Don't you tell me what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And, and this then becomes the, the trust issue where I can't trust coach. Cause as you said, inconsistency mm -hmm. of what is important, how we do things, et cetera. Um, so I, I think values really starts everything if we have our philosophy, if we have our values, if we live them, if we tell others about them, that then leads to growth in other areas. My that first conversation I have with coaches and then I'll be I've gone to major clinics with major coaches. And one thing I've started to do in large groups is I will have an anonymous question go up on the the slides and you know they text their answer and all that and one of the questions that I, I frequently ask when I'm talking about culture is do you have values and can your athletes articulate what they are mm -hmm. you know all the time sometimes a little bit and then that last one what are core values guess which one comes up most often and you know yeah, what are core values? Because nobody has taught the coaches any of this. So I think there's a, a huge challenge that if we want to better our athletes, a lot of times we need to better the coach. Oh. If we can work with the athletes and they can they can have you can be working with them and, and they're getting better within their their own world, but there's that tension with the coach who maybe doesn't support what the 
athletes trying to do, or they don't see it in their leader. And as a consequence, there becomes that maybe uh, distrust, frustration of I'm trying to better myself. You're always telling me to better myself, but look at you. And I'm going to get off my soapbox now because this is your, your show, not mine. But it is so important, I think, to have these values, articulate them, and then do your best to live by them in, a, in, an, in an environment where you're not going to do it right all the time. So don't expect your athletes to live up to your values right all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a great place to start. Uh, and, and you can, you know, thinking back to my coaching days, young coach, if I were given the, the chance uh, to go to session A, uh, how to teach your team to play a four-four-two high-pressure system. Mm-hmm. Session B: Develop your values. I'm going to A. Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, well, this one's going to help me win, and that one, ah, I'll, I'll worry about that one later, right? Um, I did my master's thesis on um, Division One men's soccer coaches' perceptions on leadership, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, one of the questions that I asked him was, hey, what, what's more important, accomplishing tasks and achieving goals or developing and maintaining strong interpersonal relationships? The coaches that have been doing it for around 20 years or more said something like this. Hey, Ben, the harder you work at developing and maintaining strong interpersonal relationships, the more people want to help you accomplish tasks and achieve goals. Yeah. And I just I, that has stuck with me you know, ever since concluding that study, Um, Tim, my dissertation was on acceptance and commitment therapy or in non-clinical settings, acceptance and commitment training. One of the core, um, um, core processes and act is values. I mean, what if somebody is stuck in life, they're unsure if they're having a hard time getting some momentum, figuring out who they are, what they want, Um, Our values can be our lighthouse in the storm. And I mean, I'm constantly thinking to myself, you know, we spend a lot of time as coaches, we will, you know, do video review and we will analyze tactically, you know, were we the team that we went out to be tonight? Um, And how can we get better at these values debriefs as well? You know, having some trusted uh, resources in our life that know us well you know, when when you say to me, Ben, loyalty is one of my values or um, persistence is one of my values, you know, and I can say to you, Tim, what would that look like in action after a mm-hmm. loss? What would that look like after a three game winning streak? Um, you know, these conversations, uh, I think they promote stability in the team environment. Wow. Tim's going to live his values, comma, no matter what. And when we are so outcome focused, guilty, I've been there. Um, I think that can lead to instability. And and I've talked to athletes about this. What's it like to get the same coach every day? Awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. what's it like when you have to check with your teammates first on the mood, you know, Mm -hmm. coach. And when coaches can have some sort of routine, I didn't. I didn't, when I was early on in my coaching career, I had no routine to help me self-regulate and zoom out asking who do I want to be in all of this. And I can only ask what would it have been like for those that I led um, if 
part of my process in before going into a training session, before walking into a locker room team meeting or individual player meeting, um, who do I want to be? And I love the question, um, are my actions, are my behaviors aligned with my goals and values? You know, I think, I think that can, can kind of somewhat be a, a, a North star type question, you know, to, to go about day by day and coaches are just under so much pressure, right? So, so much. And whether they have supports like myself or you, or if you can just help them build systems that allow them to better self-regulate, the team wins. Yeah, I before I became a professor, I was a, a school teacher and I, I had to go through, this was in England, technically Wales at the time, I had to go through a year of teacher training where I went into schools for, for an entire year under observation and supervision. And one of my supervisors once told me, and I've never forgot it, she said, teachers are the best actors. Okay, well, here's why. You have to go into that classroom and you have to perform in front of those, those students without bringing in everything that's going on in the tornado of your life. And I, I, I remembered that when I went in, you know, oh, stuff's going on, things aren't working out, I'm frustrated, whatever. Hey, kids, how's it going? What a great day. Because I can't deflect or, or reflect that onto them, Def deflect. The same thing goes for coaches. And you talked about it in just, hey, how is the mood of coach today? Coach's mood should, should be the act, whether it is they're having a great day or they're having a bad day. Let's, again, let's be consistent with our athletes so that they are hopefully consistently positive and energetic rather than the opposite. But you can't bring in the drama of your contract negotiation or the pressure that you're losing right now. And everybody knows it and everybody said everything in the media about you. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to bring that onto the training field or pitch or, or pool or wherever you are. It is, it is about the athletes mm -hmm. and, and you have to be an actor or actress in order to ensure that those athletes get the same you every time. And I think a lot of coaches don't do that very well. Hmm. Yeah, it. it um, I wrote down that that I've been taking some notes on some on some of your, your quotes. I've, I've found them helpful, um, and it can be a lot for I to be able to filter out what doesn't serve us in the moment. Those mm -hmm. things are real. These like, am I going to keep this contract? Am I going to feed my family? what's going to happen to me? Those are real concerns. And you're right. It takes one's ability to really self-regulate and become that actor. I think I, the, the, the thing that I wrestle, maybe not wrestle with, but think about there is, is it an act if they're able to quickly, if those values are authentic to them, if, if they're zooming out and saying, who do I want to be in this world? And, you know, optimism is on that list. Commitment mm -hmm. is on that list. Um, patience is on that list, um, then, you know, to live that, even when the emotions aren't aligned with it, we get better at what we practice. True. And so, so if we continue to practice, these are my values, 
this is what it will will look like. That's how I we get to the to to some of that um, stability. And and I, there's a mindfulness exercise that I do with with um, a lot of performers, and I call it the apps on the phone. You know, and and everybody gets the iPhone reference. Everybody gets what happens when too many apps are left open. It drains the battery. It kills the memory. And so, getting performers. You know, if we called one app the "What About My Contract" app, I could ask a coach to, "Hey, before this team talk, how about we swipe up? We can always open up that app after the game or after the season, but right now it's not going to serve you. If if as you're trying to address your team, you're putting a lot of attention to the what if, that team talk's going to come out very different. Even if you don't name the app that's open." They won't get your best. And so I, I think there are things that, you know, exercises and practices that, that we can do uh, to help us remember that these tough times are temporary. They're like the weather. It comes and it goes. But these values and goals, those things can be highly stabilizing when we put time and effort into answering those big questions. And you also went back to being in the present. Not thinking about the future, being in the present. Well said. Well, Ben, I want to be thoughtful of your time. If you have uh, any particular advice for coaches, I, we, we get a lot of coaches who are currently coaching and, and also those who are maybe to, looking to get into coaching on the show, watching the show, listening to the podcast. What, what final thoughts do you have for them? Um, ones be yourself. There's going to be the longer you're you're in the journey, the more uh, people will suggest and offer ways that you can change to get better. Certain certainly be open to that. Or we, we you know we we're giving feedback constantly to our players, and it looks great when we can model that we're open to it as well. Mm-hmm. And in that same breath, remember who you are, what got you into that seat, um, the strengths that you possess as a human. Um, to have a tribe, have a network, have uh, people that that have context of the work that you do um, that you can really be vulnerable with and uh, and share what it's like to be in your shoes. Um, and then um, nerd out on sports psychology. I wish I started out that journey early. I was so focused on techni- uh, tactics and technique. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to, to, to connect deeply with the people that you lead um, can be your competitive advantage. Great advice. Great advice. Yeah, I had a, a coach recently tell me, he said, I, I think about quitting at least once a year, sometimes more. But then I remember my why and what I'm doing it for. And that keeps me going. So, yeah, great advice. Thank you. Last question is if somebody wants to reach out to you, maybe in future listening to the podcast, watching the show, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just shoot me an email, bencfrakely at gmail.com or my website, rsrcoaching.com. Awesome. And for those of you listening to the podcast, that's bencfreakley at gmail.com. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. And just a reminder, everybody, that we try to do these once every week or two. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're watching or listening to so that you can stay informed with with these guests. 
But on behalf of myself, Tim Baghurst and Ben Freakley, thanks so much for watching. Thanks, Tim.